Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Well, bless the Lord. It's nice to see everybody this wonderful Wednesday. Shall we pray together before we get into the scriptures? Thank you, Lord God. Lord, we just worship you. We worship you because you are the God of transformation. Lord, I thank you. You love us so much, Lord, that you, you come to us, Lord, in our brokenness. You come to us, Lord, where we are, but you love us too much to leave us that way. What an amazing reality, Lord. Thank God, Lord. Change is my inheritance, Lord. I don't have to stay the same way, Lord. And so as we explore that idea today, Lord, I pray that you would be clearly seen and heard through the words, Lord, that you give me to speak. God, I pray for everybody in the auditorium right now, Lord, that you would begin to touch them. Holy Spirit, minister to them. Holy Spirit, bless them right where they are. And God, give me what I need, Lord, the enablement, the anointing to preach your word tonight, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the life of God. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Folks, tonight I'd like to talk to you from the topic of, of change, lasting change. I want to talk to you about experiencing lasting change. And uh, I'll be honest with you, the longer I walk the journey, the longer I walk as a Christian, the more I want this for myself, the more I want to experience lasting change. I've done enough New Year's resolutions and fad diets for one lifetime. Amen. I've done enough, right? I've done enough keto and paleo and all that stuff. And I always managed to find the uh, phone number for Domino's again. I always managed to find my way back to the fridge again. It's amazing human nature, how we bend back, right? It's true. Our New Year's resolutions become New Year's revolutions. We get gym memberships that remain unused. We, uh, we join uh, book clubs and we never read a page. Uh, we do so many things trying to better ourselves, trying to sort of up the ante and change and, and sort of usher in transformation in our own lives. And a lot of the time it ends in failure, let's be honest. I'm reminded of the story of uh, Charles Spurgeon, the old preacher, 19th century preacher, um, who one time was at a conference where he was sharing the pulpit with a uh, preacher who very modestly told the congregation that he had achieved sinless perfection. He'd achieved sinless perfection. It happened, right? And so very modestly and sheepishly, he told everybody under, under the sound of his voice that he no longer sinned. And, and, and the old preacher Spurgeon was there listening to all of that. And the story goes that the following morning, Spurgeon at breakfast took a pint of milk and crept up behind the preacher and poured it down the back of his neck. Let's just say he didn't have a very sanctified reaction. Amen. It's true. We're guilty of uh, less than sanctified reactions, aren't we? If triggered. We think we have a breakthrough. We feel like the Lord is doing something new. And he is. Amen. Always. Until somebody pulls out in front of us. Oh, okay. No, no drivers. No drivers in the congregation. Yeah. Until somebody pulls out in front of us. 
exactly. Do you know, I'll tell you a, a reality. We were going for a fantastic air fryer and super value there the other day. This thing did everything short of waking you up out of bed. Uh, and, you know, it was, this thing was amazing. And we were beaten to it by one. One person beat us to it. And, and Patrick Dobbin, minister of God, I, I got very unsanctified. So I'm like, who's, how am I going to cook my chicken now? This, doesn't this person know that I need this air fryer? Doesn't this person know that they're, they're, they're inconveniencing me? How dare they? How dare they? And it's funny how we get there, isn't it? We need help. We need help. We need God to come and do what only he can do. God will transform every last one of us that he calls. Isn't that wonderful? I think about Romans chapter 8 and how God says, how Paul says that God calls us and he justifies us and he sanctifies us and then he glorifies us, which means that there are no unfinished works in the kingdom of God. So I'm here to encourage you tonight. I'm here to give you some encouragement that even if your life doesn't look like there's any change, even if it doesn't look like there's any change on the horizon in your life, he's doing something. Amen? So come on, let's read. Um, I've got two passages, really. I'm going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It's a well-known passage. I'm going to read it. Will you turn there with me? And then I'm going to turn to Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to read from there as well. Here we go. Now, just some context. Paul is writing to the Corinthians. Uh, This is one of maybe at least three letters. Two have been, you know, uh, uh, preserved by the Holy Spirit for the church, for you and for me, right? But uh, here in 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking to the church about the ministry of the new covenant, okay? So he's talking all about Moses, and we know the scriptures. Moses would go and treat with God on the mountain, and he would come down and have to veil his face because he wanted to hide the fading glory of the ministry or the covenant of uh, condemnation. In other words, what he got on the mountaintop wouldn't last in the valley. So we know what it is to ride high in in April and get shot down in May. We know what it is to have high points in life and then get hit with the realities of who we are. We need the glory of the mountaintop and the valley. So Paul says, that was the old covenant, but there's a new covenant. Paul says that for the Jews, they still read Moses and their hearts were hardened and Moses was like a veil. That law, that law that prescribed works, that law that told you that by somehow observing the external, you could produce righteousness or change in your life. Paul said that didn't work. That was all about mountain. That was that. Yeah, you might have had a high point Tuesday, uh, but Wednesday someone pulled out in front of you and everything went to the dogs. And there was there was everything was great Wednesday and then Thursday everything went downhill. So Paul is talking here about lasting change, and I'm going to read from verse 14. The Jews, their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes. To this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Praise the Lord. Now the Lord is spirit, 
and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Can I get an amen in the house? Praise the Lord. And we all with unveiled faces. Say unveiled. Hallelujah, because Christ has come. Amen? No, he's not here yet. Yeah, he's, he's yet to arrive. Christ has come. Praise the Lord. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. We are with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. And you know, I, I would love to get into all of this tonight, but I'm just going to hit a couple of, I'm going to hit a couple of realities and then I'm going to get into my main text. But here Paul says this, that change is for freedom. Hallelujah. Amen. And that change is a byproduct of something. We're going to explore that. And change is a process. Can we all breathe? It's a process. Hallelujah. And finally, change is by the Spirit. Praise the Lord. And so what I want to look at is a simple idea tonight. In the gospel, I see a victory that has the power to transform me. Change is not about behaving. It's about beholding. Change is not about behaving. It's about beholding. Now, I'm going to show you in Isaiah chapter 6, this process at work in the call of Isaiah. So will you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6? And I've got some points I want to just get into with you from Isaiah chapter 6 that my prayer, it, it, it's that it would be that it encourages you. So let's go. It's the call of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. And I want you to remember that change is not about behaving. It's about beholding. Here we go, Isaiah chapter 6. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And with the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke." Woes to me, I cried. Isaiah cries, I'm ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go with us? And I said, here I am, send me. Amen. Praise the Lord. Little context here in Isaiah chapter 6. We read about a king called Uzziah. His name means strength. When you read in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, Uzziah was a king who did many wonderful things. The scriptures say he was marvelously helped until he grew strong and then he grew proud to his own destruction. The scriptures say he walked into the temple and sought to light an unsanctioned fire that only the priests could light. 
the priests were 80 noble men. They sought to sort of push him back. He resisted, he lit the fire and Lord, the Lord struck him with leprosy and he spent the majority of his reign living with leprosy in a closed, desolate house. And so in the year of his death, Isaiah sees the Lord. And I want us to take this entire thing that we've just read and I want to, you and me to see it as a vision of the gospel that transforms the temple of our lives. Okay, this is all happening in a temple. And I want you to take this idea of a temple and I want you to see it as your life. And so Isaiah says, in the year that strength died, I saw the Lord. And the first thing I want to say to you tonight from the text is this, change is already underway. Praise the Lord. I'm going to show you exactly why. We need to abandon self-effort because Uzziah has died. Okay, the veil is lifted. The obstruction is gone. Uzziah represents human strength. Okay, Uzziah represents our efforts to go and light a fire that we should not be trying to light. So I'm going to break that down in just a second. But I want us to see this here. Okay, God has promised us that the light of his dominion will touch every part of our life, that the house of David will wax strong. Okay, God is going to bring change. Change is your inheritance. But Uzziah, he shows up uh, and, and he's marvelously helped until he becomes strong. And it's funny how a little bit of success comes into our lives and we think we can finish what it took grace to start. Isn't it an interesting thing? A little bit of success and we think we can light fires or maintain fires that the Lord himself lit. You know, God, you know, there's, I want to make this point because Uzziah came up against the priesthood and there's only one priesthood. There's only one who can keep the fire burning in our lives and it's the one who lit it. Amen. God has ordained a priesthood. God is the one who brings change about in our lives. He's the only one who can keep the fire burning. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. And when we return, when we resurrect Uzziah, right? We return to our own strength and we frustrate grace in our lives. So what I'm trying to say is that we are not the source of our own change. Transformation doesn't come from us. Transformation is not the result of us trying to do it and get it right. A transformation is not the result of us doing more, doing better, working harder, white knuckling it. That's not what it is. When we try and change in our own lives or face our unflattering manifestations in our own strength, we frustrate the grace of God. We stop beholding and we start behaving. That's what we do. It's funny, you and me, there may be no sign of it visibly, outwardly yet, but we're under new management. Christ has come and the veil is lifted. Now God is going to do something in your life. He's going to do it. Just don't resurrect Uzziah. Just don't go back to your own strength to get the job done. You know, your victory in me, God, is my hope in the face of things I have no power to change. His victory in me, the God, God in me, Christ in me, First uh, Colossians 1.26 says, it's the hope of glory. Him in me is the hope I need. When I see things in my life, I can't change. 
when I see things in my life that I can't overcome on my own, Christ in me is my hope that the work is still in progress. It's still happening. Abandon self-improvement. Amen. Abandon it. New Year's resolutions, step programs, the newest book with the newest way to the newest you. Transformation is a byproduct of my adoration. It's a, it's a byproduct of my worship. When I worship him, when I look at him, when I see him, the byproduct of that is I begin to reflect what I see. Isn't it wonderful tonight? Isn't it encouraging tonight for those of us who've tried and tried again to be something other than what we are? I want to encourage you tonight. You are under new management. Christ has come. Christ is in you. And Christ will complete the work that he began. Every work that he begins, he will finish. Every work. That encourages me, folks, because I am faced, like you, I'm sure, every day with the reality of me. And it's not flattering. Let's be honest, it's not flattering. And you know, Isaiah has this picture of Christ taking his place in the temple. Christ has come, and when Christ, we see Christ in that place, things begin to happen. They begin to change. So change is already underway. And the next portion of the scriptures here, I'm going to jump to verse 4. It says, the Bible says, the sound of their voices, the angels, caused the doorposts and the thresholds to shake and the temple be filled with smoke. And the next point I want to make about change is this. The gospel will change or shake the foundations of your life. It'll shake the foundations of your life. So prepare for mess. Embracing grace means preparing for mess. I want to give you an example. Uh, I did a little bit of a study a while ago on mega tsunamis. Mega tsunamis are interesting. Basically, they're meteors or large bodies that float around up in the atmosphere, in the darkness, invisible if you like. And at a certain point, they drop and hit a point in the earth and cause a massive displacement of water, a huge displacement of water. And it got me to thinking about the gospel. There's a word uh, in the scriptures there, it's kadosh, it's, in the English it's glory, but it means weight and fame. When the glory and the weight of who he is impacts your life, it displaces who you are. Isn't that a wonderful reality? It's a counter, it's, it's a reaction to the gospel coming in, to him coming in, to him taking his place. It starts to displace who you are because it's a greater reality. So as the gospel comes and begins to touch your life, it can look messy. It can. You know, we know about metallurgy and we know about that. And one of the first parts of metallurgy is that as the, 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 the metal heats up, all the dross comes to the surface and all that has to be burned away until the metal worker can see his face in the metal. And that's the beauty of what we're talking about tonight. But it's messy initially. I remember when I was first saved, I was a mess. I had all my bad habits. I was full of the Holy Ghost and full of myself. I was full of passion, but I couldn't, t I couldn't put two verses together I, I told everybody about Jesus, but I was about as accurate as I, as I wasn't accurate. It was a mess, but God had begun something. It was a mess, but God was doing something in my life. 
And it's from the inside outward. Isn't that encouraging tonight? Changes from the inside outward. The gospel comes and it's the foundations that shake. It's the inner parts of you that shake. God is working from the inside out tonight. Do you understand that? Can we be encouraged? Because sometimes people will only judge from the external. Some people will look at you and say, I don't see change, so therefore it isn't happening. Don't let anybody judge where you're at if they don't know where you've come from. If they don't know where, where that, if they weren't there for the point of impact, the place, the time when Jesus came into your life, don't let them judge where you are now. Hallelujah. I was talking to somebody the other day or a couple of years back, just feels like the other day, they were working with, with addicts and these addicts, they'd come through in the Lord and they were standing smoking outside of the, uh, the church service and some Christians walked by and judged them. They shouldn't be smoking outside there. To which the woman replied, are you kidding me? They were smoking heroin. This is fantastic. I mean, they were smoking heroin. Now it's only cigarettes. God is able. God is good. Isn't that amazing? If you don't, if you weren't there for the point of impact, don't judge where you are now. You can't, but God is working from the inside out. So I want to encourage you. It might look messy, but he will leave no work unfinished. Thank you, Lord. That's the reality. That's the reality. The next point I want to make is this. And uh, it's right there in verse five. Isaiah, it's the famous woe's me. Woe's me, I cried. I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I want to tell you this. There's no change without self-awareness. There's no change without self-awareness. Okay? Woe's me. Woe's me, Isaiah says. He says, I'm, I'm, all of a sudden I see myself. Now that I see you, Jesus, as you are, now I see myself. And what I love about it is any sense of grandeur that he had up until that point was gone. It was just gone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. In other words, I'm no better than anybody else around me. I'm not blaming anybody else anymore. All of a sudden, the blame game is over. And can I tell you something? If you're going to blame people for why you are the way you are, you'll never change. Ever. Show me somebody who's got some self-awareness and I'll show you somebody who's on the cusp of transformation. It's not self-deprecation. Woe me. And that's not what I'm talking about. But it's an accurate view of yourself in light of who he is. When you see the holiness, the, the theologians call it the superlative holiness of God. When you see just how holy and perfect and set apart he is, you see you as you are. And that shouldn't cause, it causes a shaking. Uh, it does, it causes that. It causes an awareness. It brings the humility that we need in order to embrace and undergo real change. God. I am no better than my fathers. I'm just no better. Do you know, I have two children now. They're gorgeous. I love them. But any illusions that I'll do any better than my parents went out the window. Oh, 
young adults, single young adults or young adults, you've got, you've got, you know, you, you haven't got kids yet. Oh, we're very judgy. We get very judgy. I was very judgy. I will, when I have children, they will not be climbing up over those seats or running this way or that way. When I have children, they'll be perfect angels. When I have children, they'll be able to recite, recite the entire Bible before they're weaned. All those sorts of things. And you're walking around thinking somehow you are beyond the generation that came before you. Somehow I'm going to sort of push the standard upward. I tell you what, if you can keep the standard, you're, you're, it's a miracle. It's grace. Do you know what I mean? And so Isaiah, there's a woe is me that happens. There's a earthquake and then there's a self-quake. When you see God's glory, when the weight of who he is begins to weigh on you, you start to, <laughs> it, 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 I tell you, it is a wonderful, humbling experience. I, I, it hurts, but it's a good hurts. Amen? So if you're in that place tonight and you're seeing someone flattering things in yourself, I've learned that it's the promise that what God shows you what God shows you about yourself that needs to change is the very thing he will change for you. I'll do it for you. I'm showing you it's in its reality so that you'll see that you don't need self-improvement. You need self-salvation. You don't need self. You don't, you, you need me to save you from you. So change can't come from you. And isn't it wonderful you see these things and they mortify you, but it's God's way of saying, I will change that. I will touch that. I will transform that. Awareness is the promise and the evidence of lasting change. And the next point I want to make is from verse six. And it's an amazing thing that happens. As soon as uh, Isaiah experiences that humility, one of the seraphim, one of the angels comes and touches him with a coal from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth, verse seven says, see this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Folks, change must include an experience of grace. It must, it must. In other words, grace, not discipline, is the path to holiness. It's the path to holiness. Now, work with me, walk, track with me here. You and I have access to something angels can't touch. Isn't that amazing? It's one of the things that I love about this passage. The angel has to handle the coal from the altar with a tongue, it's an instrument. It can't touch it directly, but it brings that coal and touches Isaiah directly. And all of a sudden, his sin is atoned for, and he doesn't have to feel guilty anymore. Isn't that an amazing thing that even when I see failure on the path to change, I don't have to walk with guilt because what the cross has dealt with, I don't have to feel condemned for. What the altar has cleansed, I don't have to walk with guilt, feeling guilt for. Isn't that amazing? Thank you, God, that at the altar, 
everything, that every failure, every fault, every embarrassing, humiliating moment has been atoned for completely. And when I come in humility, you come with grace, Lord. When I come in humility, you meet that humility with grace. So I don't hide what I am. I don't blame this person or this person. Oh, my upbringing. Oh, my experiences. Oh, where I come from. I don't do that. I own what I am. And then you come and show me again who you are. A God of grace, mercy, kindness. So you take the, the, the power of the altar and you touch me where I need grace the most. Hallelujah. Because folks on the path to lasting change, failure and condemnation can overturn the apple cart and keep you in a place of despondency. You can't have change without hope. You can't have change without hope. You need to know that when you see those unflattering things in your life, that there is a continued flow of grace and mercy for you. Isn't it wonderful? Lord, I shouted at my wife again. There's grace for that. Lord, it's the, you know, sometimes I, I used to think uh, when the scriptures talk about forgiving your brother seven times, 70 times, I used to think, well, 491 and you are cancelled. I'm going to cancel you. Do that kind of thing. And God showed me, actually, Patrick, that's the same sin 490 times. It's not just 490 separate indiscretions. I want you to treat that person the way I've treated you. I want you to extend the grace I extended to you to them, which means that even if they do the same thing to you 490 times, that there must be grace for them because the altar, because the atonement, because what he's done, it's a fountain that never runs dry. Hallelujah. Anybody else happy about that tonight? Anybody else going, thank God for that tonight? It's the truth. Absolutely. It's the truth. Thank you, Lord. It's the truth. Honesty will always lead to an experience of grace. Always. And an experience of grace will lead to holiness because it's the heart of God for you to share, to partake in what he is. And the last point I want to make is here. Verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? To which Isaiah says, here I am, send me. From woes me to send me. Transformation, hallelujah, hallelujah. Change is confirmation to his image. Hallelujah. Some of us think that change is about, you know, the culture's definition of success. God, change me into somebody rich and tall and handsome. You know, Lord, can you change my height? That'd be great. Lord, can you change my, you know, earning, you know, bracket, my tax bracket? That would be fantastic. Lord, can you change this situation or can you change this, you know, issue or whatever? God is looking to transform by conforming us to the likeness of his son. I want to look at this just for a second with you before we close for tonight. Because some of us are waiting for God to turn us from a frog into a prince. <laughs> Isaiah went from humility to boldness. It's amazing. From self to service. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom from self. I'll say that again. 
where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom from self. Isaiah was able to step out of shame and enter into service because he'd seen something, something of the glory of God, of the weight of who he is, of his love. And let me show you exactly what I mean here because I want to tell you tonight that the end of this process is that we become the message that we behold. We become that message. In Psalm 40, God says, behold, it is written of me, Jesus, this is a messianic psalm in the volume of, of, of the book. A body thou hast prepared for me, I delight to do thy will, O God. I believe that that was the Lord Jesus' commission as a part of the new covenant. And so just like the Lord Jesus, just like the God that he beholds, he doesn't just see a God perfect in holiness. He sees a God perfect in graciousness and loving kindness and mercy. And something changes Isaiah. Something in that view of who Jesus Christ is transforms him. You know, when you read that passage in 2 Corinthians, it's really talking about reflecting like in a mirror. We begin to reflect the God who left glory, left perfection, left perfect holiness. What I love about holiness as an attribute is that it does nothing for us. When we worship God for his holiness, it's his one attribute that doesn't benefit us in any way. That's why it talks about worshiping him in the beauty of his holiness. All we can say is, God, you're just beautiful in that you're holy. And so Isaiah in that moment sees a incarnational savior, one who'll take the glory of who he is and touch undeserving humanity with it. And at that point, Isaiah is able to step out of shame Step out of who he is. I don't need to be this anymore. And for us, for us, that is what God is doing. I'm making you the message. As the gospel does its work in your life, I am helping you, transforming you, causing you to shed self so that you can look to the world around you and say yes. You know, a Christian willing to be given for others is a transformed Christian. A Christian willing to be poured out for others is a transformed Christian. A Christian willing to say, here I am, send me, is a crucified, dead Christian. And you can't kill someone who's already dead. Isn't that a wonderful truth? And so when we know that that is the end of the product, as that's the end goal, it gives us encouragement. Lord, you are making me more like you. You are causing me to walk out the gospel, not just as a theology that I can talk to my friends about over coffee and Starbucks and then go back to living for myself, but I, it, I become a message that the world will look on and be in, transformed by. The end of our transformation is the transformation of others. The end of our transformation is other people experiencing gospel grace for themselves. Come on, folks, tonight. Lord God, I want to get out of my own way here. I'm not going to be Uzziah anymore and try and play priest and touch a fire that I couldn't light on my own. Lord, I can't finish what it took grace to start. I need grace today like I did the day you came into my life. You're the high priest, Jesus. You're the high priest. You're the one. You're the one who maintains my fire. And so God, I'm going to trust that you'll finish the work that you started. 
And God, I'm going to walk forward. I'm going to walk forward, Lord, even though it looks messy, even though my life looks like a mess, even though as I embrace you and trust you to change me and cast off religious endeavour to change the outside instead of the inside, I'm going to stand fast even if people judge me for it. Because if I'm a mess, I'm your mess. Hallelujah. Whose mess are you tonight? If I'm a mess, I'm your mess, Lord. I'm your mess. And God, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to trust, Lord, that when I fail, there's coal from the altar to touch my lips or whatever other area needs the grace of God to cover it. And Lord, I'm going to walk in humility because that's what a vision of you does in my life. And ultimately, Lord, ultimately, you are going to take who I am and reflect who you are in me. Thank you, Lord. It's my inheritance. I can rest in it. Change is my portion. Transformation is my inheritance. Transformation will happen. And the New Covenant Scripture, one of them that I love the most in closing, is Ezekiel chapter 36, where God says, I will vindicate my holiness through you. I'm going to show up to do what you couldn't do through observation. I'm going to show up and I'm going to live in you by my spirit and do what you couldn't do through the external observation. What you couldn't do by observation, I will do through you by inclination. I'll write my law on your heart so that you can walk out my statutes and be careful to obey my laws. Isn't that wonderful? That means obedience is a promise from God. I will cause you to be obedient. Man, I could do a here and that more. I'll cause you to be obedient. Where you were wayward, I'll bring you into obedience. Where you were rebellious, I'll bring you in. I'll bring you in for the sake of my name. I'll hem you in to my word. I'll bring you under subjection to my word for the sake of my name. Isn't that wonderful tonight? So I'm going to rest in that, Lord. I'm going to rest in that. I'm going to rest. Hallelujah. Can I pray with you before I hand it back to Pastor Nick tonight? Will you lift your hands with me if you're like me and you need transformation in your life? Oh, Lord. Lord, I just want to thank you tonight. I want to thank you tonight that you have come, Lord. Thank you, God, that you have come to live in us through your spirit and your plan for our lives is freedom. Lord Jesus, freedom from self so we can step into all that you have for us, Lord. And so God, tonight I pray that you would, your grace would just touch us in a fresh way, Lord. God, help us become the message. Help us become the message we behold. God, bring us, Lord, again to your word. Bring us again to worship. Bring us again to adoration, Lord. Bring us again, Lord. Ours is not to behave. Ours is to behold. And you will do the rest. You will do the rest. Lord, I thank you. We will not end this life with those unflattering things, God, still embarrassing us and the testimony of God, you will bring it around. You will bring it into subjection under your word, Lord. Thank you tonight, Lord Jesus. I may not be everything, Lord, that I could be, but I will be by grace. So thank you, Lord. We worship you and we praise you. I pray this would deeply encourage people, Lord, 
Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.